And we are back. This is the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM. I am your host, Olga Peters, and I have my co-host here, Emily Kornheiser, state rep for the Wyndham County, as well as David Poses, who is an expert on mental health <laughs> issues <laughs> and addiction <laughs> issues. Um, I think he doesn't want to be called an expert, Olga. Oh, no. For the purpose of this show, you are, because you know much more than Emily and I do on, on this issue, which is why we're so glad you're here today. Happy to be here. So one thing we were talking about off air is, you know, in you framed it really well. You said that substance misuse is really a health issue. It's not necessarily a law enforcement issue. And. And so if that's the case, and since we have Emily here, who will in January go back to the State House and be working on a number of policies in general, how do we set policy for something that really should be a health issue rather than the way society has treated it for years, which is more in the realm of um, law enforcement? Yeah. Um I mean, I, you know, I think what Portugal did um, in 2002 um, is a great model. Um, they decriminalized um, they decriminalized everything, but made it illegal to sell drugs. Hmm. Um, and so, if you are uh, caught, you know, in a in a transactional type of situation, um, they encourage you to get help. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I think it's such a it's such a complicated issue that there's really no, um, you know, simple, simple way to uh, to resolve it. But I mean, if you if you think of it in the sense of, um, you know, you hear a lot about, well, the, you know, it's the, it's the cartel's fault. And if we just called them terrorist organizations, uh, you know, and bombed them, it would stop the flow of drugs. And, you know, there's going to be demand whether it's legal or illegal. Um, so rather than pretend that if we eradicated all the drugs, you know, nobody would want drugs anymore, um, let's be realistic here. There's, there's major demand for, um, for opioids right now. I mean, we're, we're um, living in an instant gratification society where more and more people are, are you know, dealing with uh, depression and, and other issues, and um, heroin is a painkiller, and, you know, depression is emotional pain. Um, so there's nothing we're going to do that's going to make people say, you know what, I don't want it anymore, forget it. Um, I would approach it from a, you know, it's, look, everybody knows it's bad for you. Um, there's nobody who tries heroin for the first time and then later finds out that it's, um, not only illegal, but harmful. Hmm. Um, so if, if we, if we go into it from the perspective of, uh, you know, look, anybody who wants help, um, it's available and uh you know come up with some kind of program that makes sense um in terms of making you know uh buprenorphine or or methadone or or you know whatever it is that's going to work on an individual basis um available i think that's going to lead that's going to reduce harm it's certainly going to reduce crime Uh, i mean if we're looking at it from the sense of uh, you know, the drugs are illegal, and so people are stealing to get the money to pay for them and, and all of that. Like, I, I think everything is causal um, in, in the, you know, in the whole, um, you know, situation. So, so I think really, in, 
Yeah. I think in Vermont at this point, many people would say that we have done that. So we have drug courts where certain people in certain areas of the state can um, be really focused on treatment a lot, you know, as part of how they are making amends for whatever crimes um, happened. We hypothetically don't have waiting lists anywhere in the state. And so I'm curious, and yet that's still not working because I get the sense that treatment um, is still not accessible for a lot of people. And so I'm curious if you have a sense of like what accessible treatment really actually means on the ground. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really different for everyone. I mean, it's, you know, it's an it's an individual, um, you know, it's a very personal problem. And um, I mean, I think the fact that you know, you can walk into a Starbucks and demand any kind of, you know, coffee and they'll customize it to your taste. Um, we should be able to have a recovery system um, that meets each individual person's needs. Um, so, you know, my reasons for using heroin are going to be different than your reasons for using heroin. And what it's going to take to get me clean is going to be um, different for you. Um, so, um, you know, having kind of a, a, a suite of holistic services, um, I think, is really crucial. I mean, it, my recovery wasn't just I got buprenorphine and everything was fine. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm still in therapy, um, you know, once a week, uh, and I take antidepressants. Like, it's a whole, you know, um, regimen of things um, that I do to stay well. And so the idea of, you know, we'll just we'll, we'll, we'll decriminalize buprenorphine or we'll hand it out like candy um, you know, or we'll open rehabs all across the state. It's like it, there, there's not just a, it, there's no silver bullet here. And I think that part of the problem is we're, we're so, um, you know, it's such a reactive situation and we're, we're scared and we want answers and this is such a huge problem and what do we do? And there's really, there's no, you know, oh, if we just do this, everything will be fine. Um, it's a, it's a, um, a, you know, a smorgasbord of, uh, um, of solutions that need to come together. And um, I, I would add to that, too, um, one thing that complicates the issue is that quite often there's hurt on both sides. Um, someone is hurting, and it led them to use heroin, as an example. Uh, but then if they, say, break into someone's car uh, yep. to steal things, now you have another person who has been hurt by the situation and i i think that also complicates things at times because it means that society can be screaming for different solutions you Mm -hmm. know some people are like look i just want to lock them all up and somebody's like no look we need to do something more compassionate you know and and i think that complicates things yeah i mean i i think that's what there's such a a swath of gray um in the middle i mean you know as we were saying earlier on, I mean, you know, if you, if you commit a crime, um, the, the crime has been committed. So, you know, if, if you break into somebody's car to, uh, you know, steal a purse in order to pay for your heroin, the purse was stolen. Whether you are a drug addict or not, um, you know, that happened. And so you should be responsible for that. Um, you know, addiction is a disease and all of that, you know, um, is fine. Um, so, so, so your your recovery process should include some kind of reparation, um, you know, for that. I mean, I think we should be not more lenient, but more compassionate. Um, you know, a bunch of like thrill seekers who go around stealing cars for fun 
is very different than, um, uh, you know, somebody who, who thinks they're going to, you know, die without drugs, um, you know, uh, uh, breaking into somebody's house. I mean, you know, again, harm was done, no question. Um, but I think it, it does need to be viewed on, a, on an individual basis. Um, and also, you know, are we talking about a, a repeat offense? Is this the first time this happened? Are we talking about a repeat offender? I mean, if, if there's somebody who is consistently doing this, and we're giving them chances, and we're giving them access to buprenorphine and methadone and, and whatever, and, and they keep slipping and they keep, um, you know, this keeps happening, then um, I, I still don't think that, you know, we'll just put them in jail and the problem will be solved. Is That's, that's still not solving the problem. Um, I mean, someone will be satisfied with that, with that outcome because, you know, the cars will stop being broken into. Um, but... What, what are we actually looking to do here? Are we trying to help people get well? I mean, I, and I think that's the thing, is that every, all the stakeholders have different objectives here. Like, we, we want to stop the crime around drugs. We want to help the drug addicts to get well. Um, sometimes those issues are at odds with each other. And that's where the, um, you know, individual approach, I think, is, is crucial. And I think um, that some of the restorative justice programs that we have operating mm-hmm. in Vermont right now going a long way to that middle ground so we can have individual conversations that are between the harmed parties the person doing the harm and include you know restorative and reparative practices that might include treatment Mm -hmm. um, and might include community service or some sort of payment or whatever it is so that you can really address the issue holistically when I think about treatment options that are holistic though I get um a little more overwhelmed. And so I've really appreciated what I've seen you, um, what I've read in your writing about this link between depression and addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I certainly know I've been really um, sort of bewildered the last few years as I meet more and more young people, especially young people living in poverty with crippling levels of anxiety. Mm. Um, yep. And those two particular mental health struggles, I think, are, you know, at epidemic levels in our communities, particularly are um, hit folks who have um, chronic trauma, family trauma. And Mm -hmm. so it makes perfect sense to me that, you know, opiates would be the solution to that chronic anxiety, trauma and pain. Chills the pain, yeah. Yeah, totally. So... We are doing such a terrible job as a community of helping people treat the depression and anxiety when the opiates aren't there. Yeah. And so I can't even imagine what it looks like to do it as sort of a now as a co-occurring condition, essentially. So I'd love if you could walk us through that a little bit. Okay. I mean, I I think, you know, uh, on on the community level, um, you know, any community that you might be talking about in Vermont, I think is is definitely reflective of of the situation nationally. Um, I mean, I I, I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but I want to say it's like um, opioid addicts are uh, like four times more likely to have some kind of uh, the most common mental illnesses, um, anxiety depression, um, or some kind of trauma than the general population. Um, and so, you know, that's a well-known fact. And yet in rehabs across the country, um, 3% of comorbid, um, addicts are 
treated for um, depression, anxiety, whatever, and addiction. If you go to rehab, you're, you're being treated for drugs. Um, it's a, it's a, there's no you know, national standard of care. There's not really an, uh, uh, you know, some governing body that oversees you know, all the rehabs. Um, and that's really, you know, it, it, they're, it's a business. And so their business is getting you off of drugs. Um, it's not, uh, you know, you might happen to address, um, the issues while you're there. I mean, I, I, I didn't, it was actually turned around on me when I went to rehab. What do you mean um, by that? Well, so I, I mean, we're talking about, um, you know, the 1990s. So, um, you know, I, I don't know if this type of situation still goes on, but I got to rehab, um, and I went to, uh, you know, the best rehab, <laughs> um, and, uh, and they said, um, you know, addiction is a disease, and uh, it, it, the only way to get well is to put your life um, and will in God's hands and work the 12 steps of AA. So as a devout atheist at the time, um, you know, that just, it, none of it made any sense to me. And the fact that my mom had had cancer not long before, and I knew that I had actively sought heroin out and definitely made a choice to use it, um, I wasn't buying the disease business either. So um, I told my counselor, you know, look, that none of that, that's all crazy. Um, I couldn't handle my feelings. I was, I was too weak. And, uh, you know, look, um, depression is emotional pain, and heroin is a painkiller, and I connected those dots, and it was off to the races. And it's that simple. And so he said, um, well, uh, rationalizing and justifying is addict mentality, and it's a lot easier to make excuses for why you use drugs than it is to admit that you have a disease and put your life and will in God's hands. Um, and I just, I, you know, I, I, I heard that, and I was kind of bewildered because, and I said to him, you know, look, I mean, I think it would be a hell of a lot easier if I said, oh, okay, no problem, it's totally not my fault. Um, it's a disease, you know, disease made me stick needles in my arms, you know, tell my parents that. And, uh, you know, no, like that to me was much easier um, than what I was trying to accomplish. But, um, you know, they, they, they just, they weren't having it. And so the idea um, from there of, of dealing with the, with the depression, there was no way that I was going to bring that up, um, you know, in rehab. And, and, and I think, you know, it, it, it like, you know, you, there's a lot of, kind of talking that goes on there. So, uh, you know, that kind of stuff did come up. But in most cases, um, you know, it turns into, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're making excuses for using. Um, you know, I was really sad because of whatever, and so, uh, you know, I went out and got high. They're, they're, not, they're not looking at the underlying, you know, what caused you to do that. Um, you know, they're in the rehab business, so their job is to get you off drugs. But the problem is, you know, if if sobriety is um, is the is the you know staunchest the wound of, of addiction, um, recovery is an entirely different matter, and they are not they you know it's not an automatic transition, and they don't necessarily happen you know concurrently. Um, it's not a okay, I've stopped doing drugs, I'm fine now, everything's you know no problem. Um, you know, it's it's I stopped doing drugs, now I'm way more vulnerable than I was yesterday. Um, I'm going to be like that for a very long time. So, you know, all of my insecurities are, are amplified and magnified and, um, you know, everything's going to be a lot worse. Um, you know, but you're there for 30 days and there's certainly no drugs there. So you're definitely not going to relapse. Um, and then you're out and, uh, you know, I, I, I think unless 
you know, just going back home without working on any of the issues that led you to drugs in the first place, I, you know, it's it's really it's not surprising that 90 percent of, uh, of opioid addicts, if not higher, um, relapse after a traditional 30 day inpatient um, stay in rehab. And I think um, it's actually I mean, more like 14 days around here lately. Um, okay. Yeah, it's one, been long one line that's been um, floating around um, the human services um, community here for a while and is very, very compelling to me, but I have really have no idea if it's true or not, is the idea that the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. And yeah. really curious for your thoughts on that, especially in light of the fact that from my experiences um, with my own depression and with loved ones' depression, as well as with anxiety, they're incredibly disconnecting mental states. Mm. Um, they, in fact, yeah. make connection almost impossible. Yes. Um, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I, you know, I think addiction, the fact that it thrives on secrecy um, makes it isolating all by itself. Right. Um, so even if you were the pinnacle of mental health before um, you became a drug addict, which I think is, you know, there's a 0% chance of that, um, you're still going to be isolated and, and disconnected. So, I mean, you know, for me, um, feeling like I mattered, feeling like I was part of something, um, that would have gone a really long way, you know, that that human connection um, with anything. And so, I mean, you know, when, when I, um, I've, I've spent a lot of time in Vermont, I went to school in Vermont. Um, I spent a few summers in Vermont. I always, you know, look at the, you know, he went to Marlboro. I don't know if I told you that. Olga. I don't think yeah. you did, but Sorry. that's okay. What's Marlboro? <laughs> no, I was, making, <laughs> Emily was, uh, saw me making a face and it's only because the building just shook in a very strange way. So I was, I was in this building once when an earthquake went through the Oh, okay. The area, so that's why I was making funny faces. Sorry, guys. Wow. <laughs> Keep on going. Connection, okay. um, disconnection. Yeah. So, Sorry. right. So, so the idea of, um, I mean, I think like in in my fantasy world, um, there's a there's a rehab uh, that takes place on you know a form, um, and so. There's there's no drugs like somehow they you know figure out a way to uh, keep the drugs out and there's a lot of talk therapy and there's every medical resource um, that's needed and you've got doctors and therapists and all that but there's everybody has some kind of um, you know job and it can be you know a, 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 as menial a task as you know uh, I'm gonna you know drag the wheelbarrow up the hill with the uh, you know milk in it or whatever. Um, I'm there. I mean, I guess that, that doesn't. That you know, was some adorable of, city slicker. Right? You know, planning. give me a job at the farm, right? Yeah, whatever. No, you're good. You're I, good. I, I don't have a lot of experience, right? So, <laughs> so my job, like, I'm 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 relied on. I'm part of something. Mm -hmm. Um, and so and and if I don't get that wheelbarrow up the hill, um, you know, there's going to be you know somebody else is going to get messed up, and so I'm going to feel good about myself just by virtue of the fact that I'm contributing to something. Um, and I'm and I'm needed, and I'm feeling you know valued. That's gonna that's gonna really help. And I'm surrounded by um, you know people who have experienced what I've experienced. So it's not like you know I mean most of my life um, you know living living with this uh, everywhere I went felt alienating because I mean my first thought walking into just about any room is I'm the only person here who's ever 
you know, injected heroin, whoever, you know, tried heroin, whatever it is. Nobody has any idea, you know, what that's like. Um, and so the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm now I'm on this farm, I've got responsibilities, people are, you know, patting me on the back and saying, good job, and I'm contributing to something, and I'm connecting with people, um, I think I think that would be huge. And, it, you know, it doesn't have to be a farm. I mean, I, I, I don't know why that's always kind of my knee-jerk reaction, um, you know, it's uh, you know, get a get a um, you know room full of uh, you know musical instruments and teach everybody how to play you know band. I mean, whatever. Um, but uh, you know, just something that that you feel like you're part of something. No, it's um, amazing the drive to be of use and of use to others, and how mm-hmm. often we forget um, both how important that is for our sense of sort of dignity and self in the world, but also how it is the ultimate way that we connect with other people in a yeah. heartfelt way and how few of us feel like we have the skills to be of use right well and i will say i think your 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 thoughts of a farm actually makes a lot of sense because on a farm there are people i mean what you do really has consequence if you do not yeah. take care of the animals they will not thrive and then well, I'm the wheelbarrow guy. So. You're the wheelbarrow guy. But, but still, you're doing it. <laughs> if you don't it, take the rocks yeah. out of the garden. If you don't take the don't rocks grow. out of the garden, plants don't grow. You know, things have definite consequences. And so you can yeah. you can see the impact you're having on the world. I mean, yeah. And, I, I, you know, I think the other, the other kind of charm of that type of situation is, I mean, if there were, you know, rehab farm, um, I, I have to imagine that there's going to be people out there that would be ecstatic to buy products um, you know, from this farm. And so it becomes a self-sustaining thing where you're, you're you know, rehabs where they're charging people fortunes of money um, and families are, are, are going into, you know, massive debt um, to put their kid in a program that they have at best a 10% chance of success. Um, that just, like, there, there's something terribly wrong here. And I think it, it, you know, everything comes back to this fundamental problem of, we're reacting to a problem that was created because we weren't proactive and saw it coming in the first place. And so we think of these solutions and it's like, oh, yeah, no problem. We'll stick that guy in jail and then, you know, he won't, he won't rob people anymore. But we're not looking at the whole situation. And, um, you know, everybody and their mother wants to solve this problem, but nobody really has an answer for, like, how do we actually solve it? And, and what are we even trying to do here? Like, what what? What are we looking to accomplish? Um, because I think, you know, half the, half the people in the room are going to say, we, we get rid of drugs, and, you know, and the other half is, is going to say, you know, put all the you know, junkies in jail. I mean, it, everybody has different objectives, but that's, you know, nobody's even talking about that. Um, mm-hmm. There seems to be a massive disconnect in the conversation about the connection. Hmm. Um, anyway, so and we're yeah. just just uh, for David and Emily's uh, clock. We have just about ten minutes before the top of the hour. So, Emily, anything you you kind of wanted to add or really want want to hear from David? Well, one thing I'm really struck by is how um, even this show is in some ways an act of repair in the community hmm. that we by supporting people to understand how to be useful and of use in a democracy that helps people find ways to connect with their neighbors. Um, and so the more places and spaces that we have in this community, the more we're sort of mining that prevention bench. But I, 
So I think that's just something that I want to make sure is said before we close. Separately, continuing to really think about um, this mental health piece and Mm -hmm. how we integrate it into treatment settings and why it hasn't happened. And you kept on talking, David, about, um, you know, it's the rehab facilities, you know, job they're being paid to you know move people through the machine and I've been really struck and maybe I'm sort of um, going a little too off topic for closing here but I did not realize that many of the spots that we have in our communities where people are getting treatment are actually privately owned publicly traded Hmm. corporations (laughs) and like the fact that Brattleboro of all places would just like let that go as a reality was quite shocking to me Hmm. Mm mm-hmm well, I mean, you know, I think that's the thing is that um, at the end of the day, it, you know, most of these are businesses. I mean, so I guess there's kind of two pieces that you have to unpack. I mean, one is they are definitely businesses um, and even the nonprofits are still businesses. I mean, they can't operate without, you know, capital. Um, so, uh, you know, they're, they're going to, they're, I mean, they have to make money, um, you know, and, and, uh, the other the other piece, I guess, is um, there's because um, AA is a faith and abstinence based program, and it is the locus of treatment at so many um, treatment facilities. Uh, you know, that's that's the model that they go on. And so, if it's if it's an abstinence, I mean, look, don't get me wrong, AA is great for the people that it works for. Um, but it can't be the only thing um, that we're that we're using, and so that model kind of made it unnecessary to have medical professionals in a lot of rehabs. I mean, I don't recall there being doctors. Um, the rehab that I went to was, uh, you know, there, there were a bunch of different um, you know buildings uh, on the campus or whatever. But the the you know spot that I was in, there there were certainly no you know doctors there. So if if I, I don't know what you know, you have to do to be the average rehab, um, you know, drug counselor. Um, but if that's the job, then they're not equipped to diagnose any kind of mental illness or treat it or prescribe the right medicine for you. I mean, that's so far beyond the bounds of what um, you know that job uh, entails. And so. I mean, looking back, the idea that my counselor said what he said to me about, you know, the, the, the God and, um, and disease and, and I was making excuses and all that business, like, I totally get it. He probably went to some kind of, you know, training program. It was, the, you know, the highest paying gig in town. Um, you know, maybe he was an aspiring social worker. I don't know. Um, but but, in the, but you had actually today. done the work to diagnose yourself and like to do the, a lot of the first step in mental health work. I'm really struck by the fact that given the demographics of Vermont, the state is paying for the vast majority of people who are in rehabs rehab. Hmm. And so we have tremendous leverage in informing what we are going to fund and what we're not going to fund. You you, you should. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I think any, any knowing what we know today, the idea that any program, um, would insist uh, would would not allow medically assisted treatment to me is just unconscionable i mean um when when my mom had cancer uh you know doctors treated her with medicine and surgery and i'm 100 percent sure that if they would have told her 
you know, hey, look, find yourself a support group and everything's going to be okay, that she would be dead right now. Um, there's no doubt in my mind. And mm-hmm. so, you know, um, there, there's got to be, it needs to be a, a comprehensive program that addresses all of the areas that are proven to work. I mean, there's enough studies out there that show, you know, what the, what the you know, kind of cornerstones are for um, a successful recovery. And knowing that, you know, everybody's different, there's still a lot of commonalities as far as there's got to be some kind of therapy. You know, there, there, there probably needs to be some kind of medication. Like, all of these components need to be, I would think, if these are state-funded programs, it should be, if you can't meet this minimum uh, level of criteria, then, you know, you're out. Um, so and, and, and that's that. As we close... I'm those cornerstones seem like an incredibly th- thing mm-hmm. to, for us to hit as we close. So therapy to, you know, really get clear on why someone was interested in drugs in the first place and to deal with like all of the shame and trauma that comes from doing drugs. You know, I'm reminded again and again of the young women in our community and many young men who are turning to like some really pretty incredible sexual trauma after recovering or while recovering from their addiction because of what they had to do to get drugs. So therapy to deal with the stuff that happened while you were addicted, whatever was going on before and will be going on after medication Mm -hmm. that's available. Um, whether that's, you know, bup is the right thing for a person or whether it's methadone. And then are there any other cornerstones that we should be thinking about as we sort of step into this as a rational problem? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, you know, kind of general life planning um, would be important. What you're going to do after this. I mean, I, I think that's the other piece of the, of the you know, the, the rehabs that are in the rehab business. Once you, you know, not that they're all, you know, that callous, but like, it's not their problem what happens to you when you leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like, if, if you look at it like the way, you know, high schools and colleges treat their students, um, you know, I mean, Marlboro wants me to be <laughs> as successful as possible, and they want to launch me into, um, you know, some kind of career that, that makes sense for me. And, you know, I'm sure that part of that is a hope that I will, you know, make a trillion dollars and, and, you know, help with their endowment. But, um, there's got to be some component of, of all of these, um, of, any, of any rehab that's like, okay, what are you doing after this? Because mm-hmm. if you're just going to go home and sit in your basement, you know, you're dead. And we've um, talked a lot about sort of step-down housing options where people right. can still be in community, still feel of use as they're sort of stepping into this next phase of their life. We, we forget yeah. how, how vulnerable and delicate transition points are. For everyone. Yeah, for yes. everybody in any situation, yes. not just uh, yeah. someone who's coming out yeah. of re- addiction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess that's kind of the thing that's missing in the national conversation. Is like there's, just, there's a complete absence of logic across the entire spectrum. I mean, what you just said about transitions, um, it's true. Change is hard for everyone in every situation, you know, no matter who you are. Um, there's going to be something different and, uh, you know, it's not necessarily going to be easy. So like, let's take that into consideration. Um, and if it's going to be especially, um, you know, tough because you're especially vulnerable, then what can we do to minimize the possibility of something bad happening to you? I mean, I, I, I'm, I really, I hate to think that any rehab, you know, wants you to relapse, but I mean, look, the fact is repeat business is not bad for them. (laughs) Um, so, uh, you know, um, well, on that note, David, um, I thought this was a really great conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, anything quickly, Emily or David, you want to add, wish we had asked in like 
two minutes or less? Um, I don't know. You solved it. You solved it. (laughs) Thank you very much. This was really, I think we hit some really um, high points about like the basics of what we were talking about. And then I really appreciate sort of the nuance that you brought to this conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about how things thrive in secrecy, um, what it means to be in community, what it meant to be in a community of people who had experienced what you'd experienced and how important that was for your recovery. I, I really um, loved what you brought up, David, about um, what actually brought you to use heroin in the first place, because I think we forget where our society is not always good with dealing with things directly. And so yeah. it kind of has a built in mechanism for people to build up coping mechanisms, whether that is something like a substance misuse or you know, sitting in your PJs and watching TV for hours on end, it, it can take many forms. But I, I think that is something as a society in general, we need to be better at is helping people identify something as soon as quick, as soon as possible and deal with it directly as soon as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you Absolutely. so much for your time. And um, thank you uh, for having me. Yeah. We will talk soon. Take care, David. Okay. You too. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. That is all we have today for the Montpelier Happy Hour. I am your host, Olga Peters, and of course, my guest, Emily Kornheiser. We thank you very much for tuning in today. If you want to listen to this or any past episodes of the Montpelier Happy Hour, you can go to the Vermontitude SoundCloud page or the Vermontitude Facebook page, and you can also drop us messages on either of those pages. But also, Emily, how can people reach out to you if they have questions or concerns emily kornheiser at gmail emily org. emily kornheiser <laughs> on facebook and twitter and you can stop me on the street whenever you want and i'm really excited because next week we are going to be talking about sex all right can't get any better than that nope <laughs> so tune in next week 2 p.m for the montpelier happy hour we will be talking about legislating morality and what that means for sex. Take care, folks.